Hey there. Welcome back to The Hustle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dina Williams, who's a product designer at Funsize. And today, our guest is Brian Peterson, former design director at Funsize. And he just recently left Funsize. He's about to move to Chicago to explore some new adventures. And today, he's stopping by Funsize for one last time before he moves, before he is about to do a Webflow presentation. So thank you so much for stopping by right before you're about to give a presentation. Right before. <laughs> Talking stamina. This is a test. Uh, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. I'm doing really good. So actually, thank both of you guys. Dean is actually planning the Webflow meeting, and Brian's presenting. So they're mm-hmm. doing this like right before they have to do that. So that's uh, super cool. You guys, thanks for doing it. We were just crushing some dry ice outside, <laughs> testing out for some for some flow from fog. Yeah. Uh, ask Brian um, to tell you uh, the story about the time he got a part of his body stuck on dry ice. Maybe he'll... <laughs> Connect with him on Twitter and ask him that question. Um, so today we're actually going to be talking about designing intent and goal setting, which is something that Brian is very passionate about. We actually were talking about this a little bit last night. So mm-hmm. before we get into the topic, why don't you take a moment to just inter- introduce yourself? Yeah. So like you'd mentioned, I've had the pleasure of working at Funsize for about like two and a half years. It's been a wild ride and that's been going from working with startups, enterprise, uh, doing a little bit of strategy work, doing some workshops, some design sprints, but ultimately kind of focusing on just like, how do we make like better products? So that kind of journey started at a startup for about three years before Funsize. And before that, I concentrated maybe on more like animation, illustration work and, and kind of found that that uh, that type of work was a little bit shallow for me, where it's like, you know, I like doing the process of it, but once it was done, it was done, and the idea of the product is kind of exciting. But that kind of moved me into tech, and now I've kind of worked into fun size, which has been great, because I followed the Hustle podcast and introduced me, and I've actually had the pleasure to work with Dina Williams on projects when I first started, which was amazing. Um, yes. And yes. now it's it's kind of fun to be full circle. So first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's true. That's how we That's how we got to know each other. That's kind of wild. And it's also kind of wild that, you know, you know, if you were working with Dina a lot when you first joined and now, you know, you're leaving. Oh, it's sad. Let's not talk about the sad stuff. All right. So let's, let's get into the exciting stuff here. Let's get it. Let's get into it. What is it about this topic that motivates you? Like what, 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 why, why are you interested in designing with intent and the idea of like goals in general? I think the, the big thing is. Face value would probably seem like from people from fun size would be like, oh, Brian's always talking about goals, how to do projects, how we can like kind of learn from these frameworks. But a lot of that came from experimentation of of me starting out, like not having like a formalized kind of design department and trying to think like, how do you work with other people in the startup when no one is a design background? So how do you make your own goals? How do you make sure that you're working towards something? How do you make sure that you're achieving things and staying interested and curious? So I think for me, I struggled with that a lot because I was a little bit more high level, right. just always jumping at the next shiny car. So the idea of there's some times that you back up and, and you feel a little lost in the middle of that. And it's because of usually, even if you don't have a, a high level goal or something you're directing towards, you're like, what am I actually doing? Right. kind of gives you a little bit of panic. And I think that's maybe the first case and goes through trial and errors. A lot of reps that I've gotten, like messing things up and doing it terribly. And then also other times like, wow, that helped me more than I thought. So being able to share that with people. And I think that it's the same way people talk about communication. They call it like a soft skill. And I think goal setting kind of takes the, the bench on a lot of stuff, but in reality that impacts like the quality of work that you make, the quality of the time that you spend around with people. And I think that's with projects and with your internal stuff keeps people like jazzed up and like, you know, pumps the life into things and without the blood, it kind of dries out. Right. So I think that's what 
it started personally. And then now I've started realizing the best impact on people is not sitting behind somebody's shoulder and saying like, move this to there to there, but also being like, Hey, how could we like, how could you level up in like the week in two weeks in a month and a quarter in a project? And like the work that comes out when someone feels like they're doing that, like is win, win for everybody. There's, there's so much here. You said something just a second ago that I didn't even, didn't even think of. And then what you just said, I thought it was interesting because Brian and I were having a conversation the other day and he was saying like, you know, it's, it's usually not, you know, someone's not le- going to leave the company based on their super, the, what was it? What, it's, oh, people usually leave because of their direct supervisor, not the leadership. Right. The person that's direct, they're working with directly, right? So like mm-hmm. planning goals and showing someone that they're achieving those goals, mm-hmm. it creates inspiration and motivation. And, to, you know, I, I think that's, that's awesome. I don't which, know. If which I'm not, I'm not leaving fun size because of that other <laughs> stuff. But um, no, I'd have to say for the, the concept of that is regardless if you feel like you're a manager or not, I know there's like an icky word, but my first move into doing more like design lead items, you start realizing that you're impacting a lot of people's work. And a bit like Dina, like you're, you're, cra- you're focusing on your craft. You're excited to like learn and do those things. But if like you get into a project and like something like flats, right. And you're like, well, am I doing this? Is this like going towards what I want? Like that, that you, you start to, I thought it was a big responsibility that like you're driving what tasks people are working on. Right. And if I don't know what you want to do, why am I, I can't guess. Right. And right. I would use on mine to, how do you feel about well, I mean, goal like, setting? Well, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to think. Cause like, I know sometimes like I, I definitely am like a huge checklist person. Like, so I like, I always set like really minute goals that mm-hmm. I can like cross off. But then sometimes I catch myself also setting goals that are like way too general and way too vague that like mm-hmm. there's no practical steps that you can take to get there. It's like, Oh, I just want to, get better at you know design like something that's just mm-hmm. so like so it's like you have to find like a balance of like finding steps along the way mm-hmm. but not getting too minute but also not getting too general too so like minute. how do you yeah. kind of help people figure that out like without being yeah. either either spectrum i i think that works to a lot of the questions are like what what makes a great goal and a lot of stuff Anna, my wife, like she does smart goals and that's a pretty like stuck thing. And when someone starts in for a third grade, like they say like, okay, well, we're going to make a certain amount of smart goals and smart stands for S is specific. M is measurable. A is achievable. Can you actually do it? R is relevant. Why is this a goal that I want to do? And what's the time bucket that I want to do? Mm-hmm. And like we experimented with this idea that like setting a goal, that means that this goal is atta- attached to a larger goal. It's not just like, Hey, this week I want to do this, but like, what is that actually leading to you for your like two week goal? Right. And like, and, and breaking those things down that goals can also be different because you can, you can flex with them because goals should be our obedient and serving you, not the other way around. Right. So if you want to change it, you change it. But I'd be curious of like, what would have been your biggest challenges for like the minute and the large? Like, do you think it's just kind of like focus on something? Yeah. I mean, let me, I'll use an example that's not actually design related, but like when I like try to learn like languages like French, mm. it'll be like, well, obviously the big goal is be fluent in French. Mm-hmm. But then like, I mm-hmm. always forget to set the small goals of like how that actually what happens. So then like, so then if I do work like undesignated, just random like stuff, like I study for a little bit here and there and I don't see like progress mm-hmm. because the goal is so big, like mm-hmm. you can't possibly, but like if, if, if I set like smaller things, like let me finish these lessons that I found online, then I can see progress. Cause I'm like, Oh, I finished it. Or like, let mm-hmm. me learn how to yeah. say this one thing. Oh, I finished that. So like, I think that's kind of where 
the minute ones, like I get more sucked into doing those because then I can feel that progress more. Yeah. Like, and I like can, the like, first list says make a list and you're yeah. like, oh, awesome. Check. That's amazing. <laughs> Especially for someone like you. I mean, you're always working on something like mm-hmm. you're, you're, le- you're learning French and you're, while well, the same time you're learning Korean and then you're, you know, you're learning about design systems and you're like learning how to plan Webflow meetups and you're learning how to like even do things like this. Like it probably does seem crazy when, because a lot of those goals probably take a very long time for, Mm-hmm. Uh, That's why you mm-hmm. got document so you don't yeah. lose track of what you're doing. Document. <laughs> yeah, uh, do you use any tools for this? Like, I've been using this thing called, like, Plan that kind of, like, it'll show, like, a progress bar, and I love progress bars. Yeah. I, I think those things are important, but most of it's just saying, like, what, like, standard mechanisms that you just write down, like, like, like checking on, like, every week. Just taking, I mean, what, it takes, like, a couple minutes to say, like, today did I do something that I wanted to do to a goal to a week, and then at the end of the week or two, spend, like, five minutes on like a Friday, like I set reminders just on Siri to be like daily, do your three, one, talk about three things you improved on three things you're happy with one that you want to improve. And then on the end of the week and end of month, say like, are you still on track? And like, that helps me decide like if I'm still on track, keep on going. But if I'm not going towards that, maybe I should change my higher level goals. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't take a lot of time. It's just those mechanisms that I think are hard. Like it's easy for us to get stuck in routine and just be like, I'm going to, I'm going to do, 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 do. But like, it's easy to be like when you get those paralyzing moments, which I used to got all the time, set like really big goals. And then all of a sudden I would do something and be like, oh man, I'm nothing. And then like, you kind of like freak out all the time. Yeah. Cause like, I like the, like you said that doing like basically like mini retros. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I'll do that where like at first I'm like, okay, so my goal is to be fluent in Korean by August so I can talk to Jimmy's parents. Mm -hmm. And then like when that is that, is that realistic? That's what it means. Well that too. But yeah, it's like, I'll, I'll set the goal, but then like Mm -hmm. if I don't, I'm like, okay, well let me do like, I'll set, I'll set the list of things. Like, let me do like three lessons every day. And then like not realizing that's not even practical or realistic. And Mm -hmm. then when I don't do that, I'm like, I don't think like, Oh, the routine isn't working for me. I'm like, Oh, I'm not working for me. You know, like when it's like, Oh, we, maybe you should reevaluate and think of like, you can always change these. Maybe that one specific thing isn't working for you. And like someone told me that advice recently. It's like, if you set the goals and you set the thing and it's not like working for you, just change it to something that does work. You don't have to like, just cause you set it first. Also like agile type of stuff. It's like the only value of a plan is planning, not the actual plan. So the idea of a routine is like, I've seen like really strict frameworks. I've seen really loose frameworks. I've seen on like different people do different things. Someone's like auditing and making graphs. Somebody's not doing that. And the idea is like, it's pretty much more about just what works. And and the idea of just making a plan gives you more intent, just making sure that whatever you're doing is doing something right. And and a lot of people, I think when you're not, you, you get to a point where all of a sudden you do do a retro, like once every three months to yourself. And you're like, I'm, I'm stuck. Right. And it's like, that's not, you know, you could, you break those things down slower and slower, but feeling out like what works. And that's just like the learning growth. Right. But I feel like that what you mentioned for, uh, those retros is like, there's, it's not a coincidence that like also on projects and what I'm like really hardcore about goals when we talk about things, but then also it's like, we do retros. We don't do retros at the end. We do retros like every two weeks, even if it's like something like 30 minutes and we're done in five minutes. No, you do retros because mm-hmm think about what's happening and thinking about how you're working kind of works on both. And it's like, it's like a two for one deal. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about, you know, what makes a good goal. We talked about a little bit like, you know, personal goal creating, but what has been your experience in goal planning in a, in professional Mm -hmm. context? Like why make goals for projects? Why make goals for, 
individuals that you're working with in the professional context? Like, why, why is that important? It's a great question. And I'm probably going to use an example of Doctorus, the startup that we worked at with Hanel, which is, was an amazing owner of that business. And, and luckily he had done something before and he was very conscious of how to structure these things. And as a lawyer, he's very diligent. And I think the biggest thing that we took away from that project, which is valuable is saying like, what do you want? How do we help you turn these into achievable goals? How do we make sure that we mitigate and go away from as much risk as possible? So it's like, Hey, like what, what, what do you want to get done at the end of this engagement? And then the first question is, is that feasible or not? And if so, then it breaks down. So for us to meet that, like how do we break those down into sub goals? And then within those sub goals, how do we do even more? And that helps you just in two weeks, everybody gets like pigeonholed and gets really excited about something. And you realize instead of using, hoping that pivotal or, or Jira or some sort of swim lane board shows you that you're behind, like it has to be a mechanism from the team and people communicating because the tool is not going to fix that. So it's like, Hey, well we're doing this and we're missing our goal. And like those retro mechanisms help you where it's like, okay, well we're further. And if you want to change this, we can change this, but I just want to make sure that you're happy at the end of this. Right. Or, or, or we're doing goals that are important to you and like help creating those goals. Cause the output is just, it's a product of that. Right. Yeah. It's not that that comes from good goal setting and making sure we understand it properly. Right. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going to try to do a good job for someone, you know, the least you can do is have a conversation, which a lot of this is, and then document mm-hmm. that, right? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of this is just, like, documenting things so that you know, like, you have context of what you're doing. And mm-hmm. it's also very common for goals to change very often, right? We were talking about this, again, last night. It's, like, usually when things go off the rails or when they're successful, it's probably because individual teammates between themselves and maybe with their clients or other stakeholders are constantly talking about that. Look, are these, if the goals are a baseline, are the, are these things, are these things changing? Uh-huh. Right. And constantly setting that like that, you know, but I don't, I don't know. Like it seems obvious, but I think that's a big, di- that's a big difference in like a, like a, a junior or senior person in my mind. Like I think a lot of junior people don't aren't wired to think that. I don't know. Maybe that's not a, the right way to talk about, but like, it's it's obvious that you should just be ta- reevaluating goals constantly. Yeah, right? I, I I think it's just what's the intent of asking? Like it, that's especially different when you have someone that's more interested in like an IC track too versus like a a management or a leadership track or not not leadership management track is setting the context of that. It's like should they actually be doing that every meeting if that's not a long term goal for them? Like in, right. ideally, I, I'm biased where I think everybody having some sort of intent will like bring more value and it's very low bandwidth to do that it's just hard work to keep on doing it frequently but i think the idea that the difference between you know starting out and more experience it's more of just realizing man i could have spent a fraction of the time that saved me so much heartache so i'm going to try to do this as early as possible less of like someone's wired or not it could just be very luckily in a lot of cases things just haven't blown up. Right. And you're like, Oh, well I don't need to do that. And things worked out. And that could be from a lot of good natural. Like, I mean, obviously everyone here in fun size is like pretty cool to talk with. And we have like great clients. We have great projects. Like that is both a blessing, but also, you know, that's, that's tough for someone to be like, Hey, we want to be a little bit more intense and about how we document, but reality, like everything's going really, really well because we have a, a good, the sauce is right. But like just small little tidbits. And I think 
documenting, I know I've sent you and other people like pages and pages of documentation. No one actually reads that again, but the act of documenting that was the intent of thinking, are we still on the right course? Right. You could, you, I could write that and then instantly throw it away. And that was valuable for the project. Right. No one's going to read that. Right. But people like, have to be willing to, you know, surface that like that. Like, are, are, are these goals still accurate? Or, you know, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like someone that's, that's on the IC track often relies on their leader or manager to, to tell them when the goals have changed. Cause their, their value is like, Hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm a heads down, I'm craft. Right. Yeah. Cause everybody, I think Ethan had this great uh, design director here. I mean, the way he breaks down these problems is so logical. And we were talking about something with like peoples of time and it's like, everybody has the same amount of time, right? Like everybody has the same amount of hours. Everybody has the stuff. And the only difference between someone that maybe is starting out or the, somebody that's like maybe a little bit more like I'm air quoting, like experience is just realizing like, what am, what, how much time am I doing on something that has impact and how much time am I doing on something that doesn't? And there's some times that like I could do five or six different prototypes that like forget 60% of the other stuff that move forward the meeting by like, you know, the goals by a week, or I can make one and then focus on something a little bit more craft oriented when it doesn't need to be. And I just spent two hours on that. Right. But like when you present, no one, no one looks at that and you like need to think about who you're talking to. What are the goals of the time period? Cause there's also another side where it's, Hey, we don't want versions. We just want like, we want someone to do craft stuff. Like I'd assume for the design system stuff from you, Dina is like, no, we need, we need to think about like how these things look from a style standpoint and like that needs that fine craft. Right. And there's, it's just knowing what recipe, like if someone wants pizza, you're not going to come in and cook like bratwurst, you know, and you got to think about like who's eating at your restaurant. And I think that's intent that kind of goes under the umbrella of intent. So what, what is, what does it mean to you to work with intent? I would, I would just say thinking, like, what am I doing? What is, what is the definition of value and the thing that I'm doing? And it's a little bit, sometimes I think the great thing about working in like a client services is that the, the presence of it being part of the team, but still being someone from like a, a very high specialization coming in, you have to validate that and you have to be able to articulate that to someone that might not fully understand or be exposed to that. So it's a lot of times where you have to tell intent on a weekly basis of being like, this is what value we're bringing. Right. And I think that is a good muscle to train. I think I want to be consciously broad with the same way we do kickoffs. And someone's like, Brian, what do you want to do for What's your goal for the projects? Like I want to bring value. Like I'm not going to say like, I want to do good research or I want to do good strategy. I want to do, I don't know if the project needs that, but you kind of go in flexible and you keep again, something Ethan said really well. in one of the sprints is like, keep the funnel as broad as possible when you start. So it allows to like, not like shut doors. So I think intent is just being conscious. Maybe intent is just being conscious of what you're doing. And like, that's the first case. Cause it's, it's never the same. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. makes sense. So then what does it look like if something like you're on a team that doesn't have intent? I think what happens is the dangerous thing is like things don't break right away. Right? Like that's, that's the hard part is that if you had decent communication and, and maybe without intent, you don't see the damage until, and I, I don't want to say damage. You don't see things, the, the, the product of that until like weeks later, but like when it's weeks later, you like burned three weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that's why it turns like really, really bad. So I feel like intent is 
the hard part too is being diligent on intent. You don't see the direct, I don't go into a meeting and like type up a bunch of stuff and ask about priorities every time. Most of the time, probably people are like, man, okay, a little bit rigid on some stuff, but you don't see the win right away. So the opposite is like, if you don't, a team without intent could look the same, but I think it's, it's, it's thinking about the overall, if you think of a project and an engagement really stretched out, that's where you start seeing it and you really have to expand. Is that your question? Yeah. Like it has to be probably like broader than like, Oh, I just need a prototype. It's like the intent Um, is more. The big thing is I think is like putting accountability on people that are making the decisions is probably like a more tactical thing of without intent. If you're leaving a meeting and not saying like, so it sounds like you're saying this, this and this, that's still what we talked about for the goal for this week and next week. So we're good. But can you confirm that? Or if something changes, well, Hey, you said that the goal was like, next week or this quarter to do this, this seems changing. Are you giving me approval to do that? And then having some sort of documentation. So at least when that happens down the road and someone's like, which luckily we've never had, cause I think things work really well cause we got a good sauce here. And I think we're diligent about a lot of like structures and in different ways, but it kind of just goes to the point where if something does change, it's like, man, we're a little bit behind schedule or I kind of wish it was done this after a meeting or something that they leave it's you can say like, well, three weeks ago or two weeks ago, we talked about this and you gave us the proof. Ah, you're right. Okay, cool. And that's kind of like the equal shared responsibility of a relationship. Right. And that's like a trust building, regardless if it's good or bad. It's like a trust building because then it's just, you just recalibrate. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about like the project charter that you were writing? I, I really like that idea. Like of just like getting at the beginning and then always changing mm-hmm. it and making sure like everyone on the design team knows, like not just like what the goal is for the product that we're working with, but also like what our goal is to help that team. And then what the goal is to help our design team. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think again, the act of just having the charter is probably the most valuable just for the kickoff. I'm back and forth. And it pains me to say this, that like sometimes you don't need to like be super diligent on a charter or not, but the value of a charter is to have something in the beginning of the project. And maybe every time you switch to say, what are your roles? Yeah. Or, or who do you talk to or what are our goals? What are our measure of success? So at least it's something to do. Cause I've done both sides of the coin where some people require you recheck that every like month or two or even closer of a cadence, like two weeks. And then other times, you know, a year and a half charter is going to fall off. But that thing was instrumental to be a, a temporary bridge for the yeah. trust journey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I think what the reason why we started doing, doing charters at fun size was when we hit that point in the time where our design team doubled in size and our client, the, our clients got astronomically bigger and the problems got bigger. And we realized, okay, we have way more people com- uh, collaborating on projects. We want to make sure that everyone understands like the basic things so they know how to add value. The client is hiring us for this reason. This is why their thing matters. This is how we're going to approach it. This is our assumptions. These are the risks. These are the people and, you know, and so from the director level could say, well, this is how I'm going to use the people. That way people can understand what's expected of them. Are they expected mm-hmm. to go deep and explore? Are they expected to move fast? Are they expected to create a process or follow a process? How will success be measured, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't do those basic things, you can end up with a bunch of people with a different definition of all of these things. Yeah. And then it's, it's basic alignment creation. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with you. After, after that point, it, it's almost like a mission briefing from like yeah. the military, right? Yeah. This is a mission brief. We're going to go invade. Here's how we're going to do that. But then once it's in action, once the mission's in action, that feedback should be delivered real time. Yeah. Like, hey. Um, it's a different. Yeah. 
artifact. You know, like right. we're, we're changing course, we're changing yeah. course. But yeah. you know what, what's also really interesting related to things like this? I was on a that, that Facebook panel that I was on. You were there, right? Mm-hmm. Do, do you remember that guy from IBM? I can't remember his name, but he was talking about social contracts. That's It's not necessarily like goals, but it's more... It's interesting. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Like IBM, they call it no, social contract. And essentially what it is, is a team sits down in a room and they say, here's how we're going to work together. Hmm. Right. We're going to be, we're going to start work at this time and at this time. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to use these tools. This yeah. is how we're going to conduct critiques. This is how we're going to handle disagreements. And they sign it. Yeah, like that's a contract. great. Wow. Hmm. That's great. Um, and then like they will hold each other accountable for it. Yeah. And then I think it's kind of interesting. It, I think the act of, of just looking at these things as they're not, the value is not the artifact, right? It's a product of a good cadence, right? It's a product of a good cadence of how to work together. And cause yeah. when you're seeing a social contract, I'm, I'm going right away to like a project that got to work with like Lindsay and page. And, and the first kickoff that we did was internal be like, Hey, what goals do you want to work? I shared the Katie Dill levels of recognition, like read this and then let me know how do you want to be recognized and then also driving from a leading standpoint is saying like, these are the things that I want to work on. And like weekly being like, what, what can I be doing more of? What can I be doing less of? And I think that's a social, you can, you could drive a social contract anyway, but it's also like saying, Hey, here are like yeah. how you, how you push code. But if that's not enforced and that's not like driven by action of the team and by whoever is leading, I think it goes back to what you said for like the, or we talked about for like the you know, you leave because yeah. of your direct supervisor is like that stuff comes from action and those artifacts are great, but some people it's the act of sitting down much. and having the conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's the yeah. value. The artifact, right. I, I would, I would almost imagine that those artifacts like lose value. It's like a car. As soon as it drives yeah. out the parking lot, it's yeah. gone. But like the fact of you sitting there and having that yeah. meeting is great. Cause everyone's yeah. like, Oh, well, yeah. Okay. At least I have an idea of like how this uh, critique should work or yeah. that's great, man. That's a, a different area of goals, and this is this is something that I've always really found inspiring in you because I'm I'm wired this way. Like I like to work on goals for people, right? I mean, that's part of my job to do that. And you, st- you know, and you and you've been doing you've been doing this for a while at Fun Size, even before even before you even before you got a promotion, we knew you were doing it. And I think it, it's it, it also seems rather obvious that a design leader should be doing that. But I talk to a lot of designers at other companies whose leaders do not do that hmm. for them. You know, like how should a design manager work with a designer to create goals for individuals? Then how do you negotiate an individual's goals with the, with the project goals and make hmm. and, and, and ensure success uh, across business and personal perspectives with often are in conflict. I would say first unpacking like a lot of times, I don't think I've seen ever a time that it has been in conflict. And I think that's the design management or lead to, describe to someone if they feel like it's in conflict, why it's actually relevant and how it could help their career. I think a lot of that's just framing the larger meteor of that question would be setting goals. It's it's you have to establish in the beginning that it's like you have to, Hey, the reason you are here and we are doing this stuff is because we are a business and the value of goals and the value of goals of the client and the value of what we're working on, whether you're in-house or in a client service, is that we are doing things that like has a, a, a measurement of value, right? That allows you to keep on doing what you're doing. And you have to describe that to someone being like, I know your goal might be to, you know, I don't know if there's a good metaphor, like climb, you know, Swiss, Swiss Alps or something. But I think the idea of saying like what's going on and how 
how you need to do it, but also understand that it's like, Hey, there's, there's a, there's a relationship between the person's goals and the project goals because we, they are all intertwined. And I think the first thing is not setting that I've made mistakes of thinking too firm on a a framework to go in and be like, everyone's going to have the same structure of a goal. And I will like impose a little bit more of like how I structure goals. I think the difference is sitting in and realizing that I wrote this document one time just for my own personal and be like, if I said this from like a, a height wise, like a 10,000 foot or a hundred thousand foot goal is that like, I care about this person and like letting them know that I care about this person. And then it's like, as that breaks down in different layers is saying like, as that goes down more, those are all attached because it context was set and being like, okay, well if your goal for this project is to do this, that's because you want to get to this promotion and you want to get this promotion because I think that you fit really well for that. And you, you talk about the framework, but then when it actually gets to the tactical of what your goals are, I almost feel like I never write those goals. I'm like a translator based on the experience of getting reps in, but like, it's not my place to do goals. My place is to say like, well, what do you want to improve on? When have you felt stuck? What do you want to do? And then when they write that down, it's usually never the right thing or not the right thing. It's usually never the actual thing that they're talking about, but they're like, oh, well, I want to be better at communicating. And it's like, okay, well, in relation to what you've talked about for wanting to be more, IC, like well, is that actually autonomy? And it's like, oh yeah, kinda. It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna help and let's say, what about autonomy is hard for you? And then giving them the tools because self-advocacy can't be given. It's learned, right? And and I think it goes to this point that I always tell them a little bit rough, which I learned was you either lead or you're gonna be led. And I think that goes to your own journey. Mm-hmm. So like Never leave it up for someone else that isn't in your shoe every single day to set what you should be doing and what you're accomplishing because like, you know, your goals and you need to like self advocate. Yeah. Um, Like, like we were talking about last night, like people aren't mind readers, right? You can, it's also helpful because I mean, I mean, you have like, we were talking about, you have like 20, 30 people, right? Like you're not, you're not in every single meeting. Like it's impossible, but you're also, you care so much about what people want to do. So I'm thinking like my goal when I'm talking to people on the team is just like, I want to equip you with as much information as possible. So that when you talk to Anthony or you talk to a design director, or you talk to someone, you know, exactly like this is what I'm doing. I've been thinking about this and they can use the max of your time. Right. Because it's also not, it's, it would be hard to, for me to, if I were in that situation, come in and be like, well, what do you want me to do? Right. And you'd be like, well, I think you should do that. Like if I disagree, whose fault is that? And in reality, it's the fact that I'm not thinking about what I should be doing. Um, I don't know if that answers that question, but that's a meaty one. Yeah. I would say like letting people do it. And that's, that's training that self-advocacy muscle. Under setting context of the frame and then being like, when we actually talk goals, you should be breaking these down. And it's painful. Sometimes it's like sits there and someone's like, well, I don't know. And they have to sit, sit, sit. And it's uncomfortable. But man, that's golden after because now they're like, wait, it's actually not communication. It's autonomy. And I start learning that and you talk to someone else and it's like, oh, I actually want to do this. And that was just through them exploring their own mind. And I just helped with like a, a tool for extraction, right? So how do you extract that from clients too that you might not have as much like sit down time mm. with, like face to face, let's stew over this kind of thing? I would say sometimes it's the harder conversations and retros saying like, I mean, at some point you can't be like, we're going to do a project. You're rarely going to talk to us. We're going to come into your business, understand it in like a week and then give you gold. That's just like not possible. Like how would you handle if you hired somebody like people don't get, people get hired and they're usually within those just job descriptions for in-house or wherever a company, it's like you won't be operating at full speed until like three months. And like, we're in a case for a client wise, like we're like, okay, well, 
we're like a special forces. We're going to come in in like two weeks. You're going to start seeing some value, whether it's like political, whether it's process, whether it's output and for conversations. And I think that has to be driven and talked about like, this is a two way street in a relationship. If you don't have time, this is going to be harder and this is how it's going to be harder. And we need to talk about it and bring it up when it's a problem. And I think sometimes other agencies and other type of client services, when you hear people talk about it, they're very risk averse, but like, in-house in a startup, like that's what actually causes like great work, right? That's the byproduct of it. So extracting is being like, Hey, do you have time for us? And if not, well, we're not going to be able to do this because we're only, we're attached to you. I think Anthony, and I talked about this interesting thing yesterday was we're like an extension of the body, right? So by ourselves, like, let's say the relationship is we are some like robo mechanic, like cool arm that can do like 30 different things, right? Samurai swords, machine guns, grappling hooks, whatever. Sick. But that hand does nothing if it's not attached to the organism and like the client and whoever your PM and your stakeholder is the organism. That arm can't drive and make sure that we're walking in the right direction. But that arm could ask every single 10 steps like, Hey, you said you wanted to go East. Are you sure you want to go that way? But the high level of that metaphor is that like we are attached to the main. So making that conversation really clear and, and I'm still trying to work on it. So it's always, you know, the communication's pretty tough. Um, art of communication, that stuff is being like, Hey, if you're not available, we're not going to be able to do as good of work. Mm-hmm. And if that's well, your question is like extracting that is like, maybe not saying like you might not, I might be able to like, we can't extract that. Right. If you're, if you're available like once a month, like, this is the expectation yeah. or, mm-hmm. or saying we do not work with you yeah. unless you have, and, yeah. and you kind of have to be a little annoying, but then it's like everyone is happy when the work gets great. Right. Yeah. When, when things work out, when yeah. goals are met. Right. It's actually kind of like and during that Facebook talk that you gave Anthony, it's kind of like what, like sometimes you have to realize also that like sometimes your client's goal might actually not be to be in the meetings. It might be that they have more time to work on other things and that, like yeah. the agency takes care of everything. That's right? so true. And that it, and again, it comes down to communication, right? Like the, the case that you were talking about was, uh, well, I, I guess I probably can't talk about it, but it was a, a client of ours that told us pretty clearly in the beginning, Hey, look, my goal is to do just good enough work so that things aren't stuck. So I can carry across, you know, like we can keep moving traction on, on our core products and new stuff. And you're here to help me but find time so that I can hire the best designers that I can hire internally. I won't be in a lot of meetings and I won't be able to give you a lot of attention, but that's okay. I just expect just good enough work so I can do that. Right? Like that was extremely powerful, right? Because without that clear communication as a designer myself, you can imagine how stressed out that'd be like, Mm -hmm. why is the client not here? Do they like our work? Is it good enough? Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like, What's the thing? But like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so as soon as I knew that, of course, it, the instinct is you go tell the team that, right? Like, you know, like you're, you're that's the value, right? Like, yeah. and, yeah. and so I don't know, like, and then once you, once you know some of these things, you can figure it out. But yeah, to your other point, like I'll, I've also been in situations where my boss or maybe, at, you know, in, in business context, an agency context, a client isn't available and you just, it's going to take a lot longer to build trust. It's going to take a lot longer to get things done. And, and maybe you can't even get clear goals. Yeah, it's, po- it's yeah. possible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to ask you this question just because I, I've started to talk to a few people who work at smaller companies that 
where they maybe are maybe the one of they're either the only designer or they're one of two designers. They don't have a design manager or design leader. Hmm. They're working directly with like a CEO or engineering. So they don't, they're kind of alone, right? Like, and they're in it. I know that you've been in that scenario, your past job. Mm -hmm. Like what kind of advice would you give them for creating project work goals and individual goals that will help them succeed? And what kind of goals should they expect from their leadership? Like what, what what would be the mutual expectation there? Hmm. So for the advice side would be, it's painful. It's going to be painful, but you are in a better place than people that do have that and that are, have people doing it for you. You are going to learn faster if you're conscious because you're feeling the pain when there are no goals and you're the only one responsible. It's going to be tough, but I think in that situation, you are more lucky than others. You might have different growth points, but you're going to learn self advocacy differently and way more independently and way more accountable, right? Because you know what happens from my side is like you feel the pain of being growth and what am I doing and, and question your confidence and stuff. And, and because of that, that creates like a conscious effort of being like, well, I have to do this myself and like, you know, picking up and, and just doing the hard work with the rusty stuff, like gets you a little bit better than some of the people that have a little bit more tools and equipment from a team size. I would say from the goals that you're probably going to get from other people is you have to understand that in realistic, whether you have a design manager or a design leadership or any leadership, I'm biased to think that like no one will ever be able to give you the best goals. And that's why I kind of harp on self-advocacy is like, because people don't know what you're doing every day and people don't know every moment of your experience. So I'd say you should expect if you're not coming to the table, thinking about those goals and you're not informing them and having them help, you shouldn't expect any goals or goals that are relevant to you. And I think good leaders, when you, when you hear good leaders, they don't come to the table saying, this is my goal for you. They come to the table being like, what do you want? And I'm going to use my experiences to help you to maybe drive what you want. Or if I think you want this one thing and from my experiences, I thought that and I want this, I'll help you extract that question, right? But you're not driving it. Like we don't start a project with somebody and say, first kickoff, not knowing their product, be like, listen, this is what you need to do. Like you don't know anything about right. it. So like you, you expect that someone's going to come in to a meeting that is new and trying to also concentrate on the technical skills and understand that stuff. Like, and you're able to give them that, like you could be putting them down the wrong way. Cause you just don't know, regardless of how much you care, you just don't know. So you should expect, I would say go in expecting no goals. So then when at least someone's there and helping you for framework, like you need to be always equipped as if there would be no goals set for you. And I think that's a little bit intense, but I think it goes back to like the aspect that it's, you lead your own journey or you're led on your own journey and that changes your journey. It sounds a little bit more morbid when I hear it. <laughs> well, it's like but, uh, the old saying, lead, follow, or get out of the way. Yeah, and, and, that. And, and that attached to your own goals or your own career, like when you frame it that way, that should be intense. Like, am I following someone else on my own career growth? Like, am I following someone else on my, my own path that I want to do stuff? And I think that it, that's the intent thing. Because thinking like, if I am, like, should I be thinking about if this is the right goal? Or should I be thinking about that? So does that answer both, you, yeah. those are both your questions? Let's move to more like product-centric, couple product-centric mm-hmm. questions. What does it mean to understand all the people involved in making a product? Mm-hmm. 
Have either one of you seen the end of Naval Gazing by Paul Adams, the VP of product for Intercom? You should check it out. Someone should, people should check this out. This and Ryan Rumsey's financial experience design talking about business, but the Paul Adams one is so great because all he starts in the conversation is showing all those Venn diagrams of like business design engineering. And then like, there's the center where everything overlays like this is where designs at. It's like, no, like that's not the case. That's usually maybe where like leadership or PMs are at. Right. But like design, we're like, can you, can you think about it? It's like the brain naming itself. It's like design saying we're making all these Venn diagrams. And it's like, we're the most important part in the center. When in reality, it's more like a wheel and we're only about five or six spools and, and thinking about it, understanding that like the center is leadership, regardless of where leadership's from, but thinking that like understanding that he does this great thing in this, in, in the talk where he asks everybody's like 300 people or I don't know, whatever amount of people in this massive conference, he's like, who talks to users like every single day and like only about like a third raise their hand. And this is, or I don't know, maybe something really lower, like 10%. And like, what do you do? And he asks like, what do those people do? And it's like, Oh, well, you know, 10% do it. And this is like a, a design conference. He's like, if you talk to any sales customer support team in any company, they talk to multiple users every single day. So we're making stuff and we think that we're like the voice of the user. When in reality, like we don't talk to them every day, like best processes of maturity of a design department means talking to customers, customer support. When you go in first day, you are only talking to customers, sales, your direct payment and bonus and a commission structure and all those things are based on talking to customers. But like what metrics do we have in that allow for design to like do to speak to users. Right. And like we, for some reason have said that like, we're the center, we're the epitome. We're like, we're here. So I think understanding that other people engaging other people will make you better at it. And like, you're just really good at like recipes and combining stuff and understanding that other people might actually know more about the current state or have better ideas on stuff. And I think for us, for our projects that we've had with large enterprise to small startups have been using those frontline staff is like, man, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. Like one workshop with a couple of different people from another department. And you're just like, wow, I would have never thought of that idea. And you realize that it's like, these are actually the people because like they're talking to the people we're making stuff for. In reality, when we're doing design stuff, we like get to a table and people ask for, Hey, why did you do that? And it's like my own opinion. I'm not even the user. Right. So like people say like, Oh, be empathetic, be human first. But it's like when we talk to like customers or we don't engage customer support reps or when sales come in, we, we don't even understand what sales does. And all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, well, we don't need sales. They think too much about like sell, sell, sell. It's like, no, they know what people want, but I think not understanding those different departments kind of eliminates our ability to be as, as useful as possible as a translator, right? Like we have to understand that we don't have to be really good at speaking our language. We have to be able to good at understanding different languages and translating and understanding like sales is German, customer sports, French, uh, you know, business is Spanish. Your value is understanding and talking to each one of those three people, right? Not learning English, but I don't know. That's a weird metaphor, but yeah. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you're always you're always answering the questions. <laughs> I know, but it goes along, and I'm like, oh, all tangent. I have something in the Webflow thing that says serial tangent enthusiasts. <laughs> that could be your new uh, title. <laughs> yeah. It's cosmic space explorer and serial, serial tangent, tangent enthusiast. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about all, all different kinds of goal things. We you know we've talked about creating individual goal. We well, we talked about what makes a good goal. We talked about 
making individual goals. We talked about how individuals need to be vocal about what their goals are. We talked mm-hmm. about some best practices on creating project goals in general. So just on this last bit, like it, knowing, like understanding who you're working with, whether it's a, uh, a manager or a, or a subordinate mm-hmm. or a client or another business stakeholder, like how do you, uh, do you have any advice on you to share about how you, like how people can create goals and get buy-in when they're across department or, you know, or their, their, their situations are different. Mm. I mean, nothing's, nothing's better than just like having a conversation with somebody and, and knowing that like they, they're doing their job the same way you are. Right. Like in, and, and no one's not, no one's going to be against help. We're engaging as many people as possible. In reality, some of those people that are even more closed off at first are, are people that have been burned because they wanted that. And then someone didn't do it appropriately or, or, or did it with, you know, a little bit more of, um, manipulation and, and that sort of stuff. So it's not even that some people want to, and some people don't like everybody wants to. Right. And I would think that it goes down to communication. Like if you zoom out enough, every house is built on, you know, certain building blocks, like different building blocks. And if you concentrate too much of like the, the, the output, you can do it. But I think communication, just the idea of talking, like if I was talking with you or working with you would be that it should be the same as if you're like working with somebody just because you should care about other people. Yeah. Um, I, I think to that point, like you should ask your constituents or your clients, like, what they personally want out of this, you know, like we're all human beings. We all want something out. We all have hopes and dreams and we have goals Mm -hmm. that our superiors Mm -hmm. are asking us to do. It's important to understand that. Well, and you learn, you learn more, right? Like it's more exciting. Like, Hey, like, you know, something I don't. And like, don't you want to collect as much of that data as possible? Right. So that's exciting. Um, Yeah. And just thinking about like how, like we have our own personal goals as designers or as like just our team is like they exact same thing, you know? Yeah. It's all people working on a company. Mm-hmm. So if you move, it's like the goal is not which spokes doing better. It's the goal that like, does the wheel move? But ultimately is this person getting to go down to the pool, right? Like, so that if you zoom out, like that's both from a product goal from a user, but also are people enjoying the work they're doing? Mm-hmm. Are people having a good life? You can like kind of zoom out as much. I mean, I know I zoom out on a ton of stuff, but that's because next slide Webflow, everything's connected. <laughs> <laughs> slide number three. So, um, you know, you you worked as the only product designer in a startup. You joined FunSize as a product designer, became a design lead, ultimately really becoming a design director because you were managing projects and people. I mean, it was really amazing to see that transition happen. But now you're leaving. Like, So what what's next for Brian Peterson? I think it's interesting to think about the conversation we had yesterday, too, was I think if I would if I were to look back and think about, like, working on a craft side and being a startup, like your impact on products, like huge. And you identify as like your impact on the product. Like I want to, I want to be a craft. I want to make something right. But there is a lack of a less of like, I want to work with other people and I want to see other people like build and grow. And then going to fun size, you get to work with so many different clients. You get to work with so many different awesome people. You get to this point where you're like, Hey, like I'm, I'm going to work with so many people and I can, the growth is what creates this large impact, right. Of the work. But there is something different when you're attached to these projects, even if it's like two years long, there's sometimes you're like, you know, but how much different could this be if I, if I was in house, right. And thinking about those things and thinking like, could you marry those two at the state? And for my question is like, how can I have those at equal points? Um, is that even possible? And I think the next step is whether that's like a 
product, you know, product design management or, or design management or even looking to like product management. The idea of working with people towards impact of a product um, is what I'm really excited about. And the idea of just ultimately I still put my, my goal as providing people as much value as possible and getting to meet a lot of people along the way. And I feel like that's broad, but it's, it's consciously broad to allow for me to kind of keep different doors open. But I don't know what's next is a little bit of time thinking about it, thinking about craft, thinking about how I work now. There's other aspects of, you know, making making work and talking. I've, I've been getting involved a little bit more talking with uh, accelerators and stuff and, and helping new people grow and getting an idea of helping people with goals, but also describing how fun this is, but also realistic, like setting a good growth stamp for the next next generation, right? Because it also makes me better. But yeah, I don't know. It's either, I just, I just want to see what the marriage could be between that leadership aspect and product because the byproduct, like, the product is a, a sum of the people you're working with and that marriage between the two and, and the sweet spot feels like something that I'm always kind of going to search for. So I'm excited to try to see what's possible and, and where that comes from. That's awesome, Brian. I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm also looking forward to your presentation in a few minutes. Good luck, both of you on that. Yes. Thank um, you. Why don't you guys uh, tell everyone how they can connect with you? Tina, you go first because she's okay, you, more rad than I am. You can reach me uh, on Twitter at Dinosaur with three eyes. <laughs> Dinosaur. <laughs> um, or just find me on the Fun Size website. You had to say the Fun Size website because I'm not on there anymore. R.I.P. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you can reach me. Uh, this is going to be really tough. Uh, it's not Brian Pearson, but it's ironcobra.tv. Um, you can see a lot of the little moving babies going on from the animations, but you can also reach me at, at Iron Cobra TV at Twitter and at Iron Cobra TV on Instagram. You will be somewhat enthused sometimes and other times less enthused. Very, very whelmed. <laughs> very whelmed. <laughs> or no, either overwhelmed or underwhelmed. There is no center. That's the goal, but that's not going to happen. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in to the House Podcast. We'll see you next time. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at FunSize.co. I'm Edgar Briseño, a design lead at FunSize. Thanks for listening to Hustle and be on the lookout for our next episode.